All right, thank you. Welcome again. I, I'm not sure how many, if we've done, I don't know if we did an official introduction of ourselves. So uh, we're just going to do this briefly. I am, if you've depicted an accent, it's because I'm from the South. Uh, South Africa. And so it's just a little further south than where, we, than, than where I am now, which is in Tennessee. And so I am uh, at Southern Adventist University. I'm teaching in the School of Religion. Uh, before that, I was at Amazing Facts for five years. I was director of the Amazing Facts College of Evangelism and then the vice president for evangelism at Amazing Facts. My wife has uh, taught at both college and academy level. She's been a girl's dean, but right now she has a full-time job looking after three kids. And uh, that really keeps her busy. But in spite of all of that, she's put time and effort into preparing for these seminars. So I just want to thank you, honey, for uh, putting all the effort in. And uh, she is just such a blessing. I just cannot say that too much. And I just want to thank her for being willing to be vulnerable this morning and to share of herself. Thank you. Good morning, everybody. Um, this morning I'm going to be talking about healing for our past hurts, getting rid of the pain of the past so that it doesn't poison our future. And so I'm going to start out by making a confession to you. I am a murderer. Everybody's wondering what I'm talking about, right? <laughs> no, I haven't killed anybody. Um, but I have a secret hatred. I hate something called snails and slugs. I just think they're the most disgusting things in the entire world. And I just cannot stand them. Now, in our garden in, Af in uh, California, we had a problem with snails and slugs. Now, I don't know if you've ever heard of this, but there is a way that you can get rid of snails and slugs. If you buy a can of beer and you put a plate down on the ground and you kind of level it down so that the, the plate edges are even with the ground, and then you pour the beer into the plate so it fills up to the brim, the snails and slugs will smell that and come from everywhere and come drown themselves happily in their plate of beer. Now, you know, that's really gross. That's a really gross plate, too. But um, there are so many people that I have known in my life who are just like that. And when I, when I thought about that, I said, you know, that is such a perfect illustration of so many people I've known who will pass up all the good things around them, all the wonderful people, all the great opportunities, and they will just go to the one thing that is available that will destroy them. Have you known people like that? No matter what they're doing, it just they get into one relationship after another with all the same kind of person. Even though, you know, they, they break it off finally with this alcoholic. Before you know it, they're in with another alcoholic. Or an abusive relationship. They just can't seem to break away. It's where they're comfortable. They go back over and over again. Like the Bible says, like a dog to his vomit. That's the way some people go back to the one thing that will kill them. Just like those snails and slugs. They ignore all the wonderful, healthy, delicious things around them. Go to the one thing in that garden that will kill them. Now, I believe that a lot of the reason why people do that is because of past hurts that they have not been able to surrender to God yet. Maybe it's a divorce, maybe it's an abandonment, or some kind of abuse that they've gone through. But whatever it is, it makes them feel that they are unworthy or unable to attain to something better. Or just whatever, they, you know, they just can't break away from this incredible attraction to this kind of person. You've seen people, they walk into a room, a whole room full of wonderful people, and they will zone in. In 30 seconds, they can find the worst person for them to associate with in that room. And they'll go to them, won't they? You've seen this happen, haven't you? These people, many of them really want to follow God. I shared in an earlier seminar about a beautiful girl I knew. Her name was Erica. And she was at GYC just a few years ago. Sitting here, listening to seminars, taking notes. Erica was just so passionate and wanting to follow God. She had scripture memory verses. She wrote everything out. She'd write out verses that helped her with her problems and hang them all on a little cord around her neck. You know, and she would, just like your name tag, she'd, she'd go through all her little Bible verses as she walked between classes. I taught her. And, you know, all of us as the teachers, we knew she's high risk. We don't know if she's going to make it. We're, we're trying to beat the odds. But she was just such a beautiful person. 
most wonderful smile, always eager for a hug, that Erica had been through so many different kinds of abuse as a child. By being abandoned, her father was in prison, her mother was a drug addict. Over and over, she'd just been systematically destroyed by her environment. And Erica just wasn't able to, to break away in the end. She ended up getting together with a boyfriend, running away from school with her boyfriend. Before she knew it, she was pregnant. And the last time I saw Erica, she just hugged me so tight. She was going to come and stay with me. She called me in the middle of the night, Mrs. Parker, please come and get me. I'm so scared. My husband's going to kill me. I, I don't know what's going to happen. Please come get me. I went to get her. And the last minute, she decided she was going to go home to her mom's. I think probably because she couldn't stop smoking and she wanted to go there where she could smoke. And not long after that, her grandmother called me with the bad news. Erica's ex-boyfriend, by that time she had broken up with him, had come back and shot her to death in front of their little girl, who was one year old. Now, I'm happy to say that Erica had given her life back to Christ. She'd broken up with this guy. She had started coming to church all the time. She was telling everybody she could see how much Jesus loved her and how much they needed to be ready because Jesus was coming soon. I believe Erica will be in heaven. But what a terribly sad story of something that didn't have to happen. A beautiful girl who even on the last, the morning before he killed her that afternoon was on the phone with the parole officer for her ex-boyfriend going, he's a good man. He wouldn't hurt me. He just loves me. That's why he's stalking me. That's why he's trying to break into houses where I am. He just loves me. She simply couldn't deal with the realities from her past that would help her to be set free for the future. I don't want that to happen to anybody here. So I'm going to share my own testimony of how the Lord has helped me to break free from some of the abuse and the difficulties from my own past. Now, it may be something that it's hard to imagine for you, but there was a time that I was, I was not able to walk into the aisle of a grocery store if there was a strange man standing in it. I wouldn't go in. Stand outside, play with stuff on the end of the aisle, whatever it was, until the guy would get out of the way and then I could walk in there. I would freeze up with fear and have a panic attack. I didn't know at the time what a panic attack was. All I knew was that my throat would close up and I couldn't breathe and I'd just clench my fist and wait if a man walked behind me. Just walk behind me. He might not even know I was there or care I was there. So I'd always, when I'd wait in line at the cafeteria or something, keep my back to the wall, keep my back against a chair, laugh, talk, not let anybody go behind me. You know, those who are abused are not nearly as good at dealing with their past as they are at pretending it's not there. Sometimes you have to just pretend to be able to get through every day, not to show anybody else. You don't want anybody else to know because my deep fear was, among other things, I was terribly afraid people would find out about these strange fears I had and they'd think I was crazy. Or worse yet, they'd realize I was crazy. They'd know because maybe I was. It didn't make any sense to me. Now... I had grown up in a, in a nice family in so many ways. Our family was wonderful. We lived out in the country. My parents moved to the country b- before I was born because they wanted us to live out in, the, in nature, be close to God, and that was great. I'd go out walking for hours in the woods and the fields. I wasn't afraid of the dark. I was only afraid of the men might, that might be hiding in the dark. Um, I would just, you know, I had a great relationship with my sisters. I had three sisters, and all of us were close. You know, we fought like sisters do, but... It was wonderful, but there were also a lot of dark shadows in my life. Um, one of them was that my, my father had also gone through a lot in his past, and it was very hard for him to be able to be open about his feelings, to show love to us. And because he'd been hurt many times, it was hard for him to, to let us know how much he loved us. And sometimes when I made mistakes, I was called hurtful names, like stupid idiot. And any time I would mess up, That was what rang through my mind, stupid idiot. You never do anything right. Can't you ever do anything right? You walk like your grandmother. All the things that made me hate my body, hate myself, and feel like I'll never be good enough for anybody to love me. Now, my father and I have since healed our relationship, and he's, he's a wonderful part of my life. We've worked through so much, and he's recognized some of the mistakes that he made. I praise God for giving me such wonderful parents that are willing to humble themselves and show that they love me even when they've made mistakes and now that I'm a parent I understand it's very easy to make mistakes and it's very very hard not to but one of the the most sinister things that destroyed my life was that my grandfather who was living right by us was a sexual abuser 
My family had no idea of this. My parents would never have dreamed of exposing me to anything like this. They, they always protected me. They wouldn't let me go anywhere, even to sleep overnight at anybody's house. But it never occurred to them that my own grandfather would molest me and eventually rape me. I was, it was years after I was raped before I even learned what sex was. I was so young and I had no ability to process this that I think what happened to me is probably somewhat common. It happens to a lot of people that when, when they cannot process or comprehend what's going on in their lives, they for, forget that it happened. And when my grandfather died when I was about 10, I forgot everything. It's kind of like a pressure emergency release valve, you know, how it just blows off when something's going to blow up. Instead, the, the valve blows so that you can, it won't destroy the whole thing. I think that's what happened in my mind. Because I couldn't process what had happened, I simply forgot. This didn't happen to me. I don't remember it. But when I was 15, you know, I was already having these problems. First, when I was about 13, I got together with a, a great guy. He was very kind to me in so many ways. I wasn't ready for a relationship. And there were a lot of other problems, like the fact that he happened to be married. But... Um, I wasn't able to process some of those things <laughs> for some strange reason. I didn't really understand the Ten Commandments. I thought, hey, may the best woman win. I'm nicer to him than she is. Now, in, in some ways, even though this, this is not a good idea, don't recommend this, don't try this at home, um, the Lord did preserve me in that this was a guy who respected my body. He didn't touch me in any inappropriate ways. In fact, it was only when I was about 15 that he actually started to hold my hand. But as soon as he started holding my hand, the problem started. He would hold my hand and, oh, it felt so wonderful, just like anybody else. But as soon as he'd let go and I'd go away, oh, I felt the most horrible, sickening revulsion in me. And I couldn't understand it. This guy was my best friend. We'd go hiking together for hours. I really trusted him. It was far from a perfect relationship. But there was no reason for me to feel this toward him. There was nothing he had done to me. I was really confused. So we went through this rocky time for you know, a few months. You know, He'd hold my hand. I would hate his guts for a little while, but I'd long for him to be able to touch me, put his arm around me, because it was normal, healthy longing, you know, mixed in with this disgusting, almost so sick I could throw up kind of feeling. I couldn't understand that, and I couldn't remember anything happening to me, so you know what I thought naturally? I must be crazy. Well, I broke up with him. And not long after that, another guy came along. He was really attractive. He was lots of fun. He really liked me. I really liked him. He was 16. I was still 15. Before I knew it, we were dating too. And then the same thing happened. Whenever he'd touch me, I'd just start feeling disgusted and used and filthy and angry and ugly. and It was, it was awful. But what could I say to him? You disgust me? You repulse me? That's not going to be helpful. So we went through this back and forth issue for about three months. Him wanting to get more and more progressively physical. And in some ways, this was a blessing to me that I was going through this. Because otherwise, this guy was, he was really trying to push me to go all the way. And for me, because I had this feeling, you know, whenever he touched me, eventually, it was just like I just went dead inside. It's like, bleh. okay, if you want to kiss me, go ahead and kiss me. It was awful. And I really liked him. He was my friend. He was cool. He was cute. Everything was great. So I broke up with him. Devastated him. He begged me to come back to him. For months, we went through this, you know, back and forth. He really wanted me to date him. I just couldn't because I couldn't stand it if he touched me. But how could I tell him? So I have to pretend. Yeah. So eventually, got away from that relationship. Before I knew it, I was in another one. Same thing. You know, this cycle was not a pleasant one. You can imagine. So... Before long, the only kind of physical intimacy I would have with a guy would be if it seemed like, you know, hey, we can just have a little quick thing. Give him a kiss, make out a little bit, go our separate ways. That's fine. Didn't bother me. No relationship, no expectations, no problem. But then I realized that's not Christian. The Lord started convicting me. You don't use people that way. And so I only had a couple of those kind of situations, and I decided, no, no, I'm not going to do that. Besides, I didn't want to use my body. I didn't want guys touching me inappropriately. So <clears throat> I just started the new thing. Okay, I'm just going to be a nun. <laughs> and, you know, I, I, by about that time, I changed schools. I went to Washita Hills Academy, for those of you who know where that is. 
that was a significant step in my healing process, even though I had no idea at the time. It really, uh, it, it was so helpful to me because now I was in a safe environment, a place where I didn't feel attacked continually by fear and, and anger and um, just name-calling, things like that. I didn't feel safe and, and loved at home. But now I went away to a school where there were so many people who were just so Christ-like. It was amazing to me. And as I, I spent time with these staff members and I started, you know, when I first got there, Mrs. Clark, the principal, she asked, so when was the last time you read The Desire of Ages? And I was like, I'm not sure I've ever read The Desire of Ages. And I'm like, inside I was going, I'm not sure I've ever opened The Desire of Ages. I know for sure I haven't read it. What is it about anyway? <laughs> and as I started reading that book, I remember the first chapter, Emmanuel, God with us. And I read about a Jesus who wasn't happy in heaven because he knew I was going to suffer down here alone. And he said, you know, everything's beautiful and wonderful up here in heaven, singing, never too hot, never too cold, everybody loves me. But heaven isn't heaven anymore when Nicole's down there suffering alone. I'd rather go down there and hurt with her so that she's not alone. And I finished reading that chapter and the tears just came to my eyes. I never knew. I never knew there was a Jesus like that. Now, it would have been just about a year before that that I had gone through another troubling experience that had, had really caused me some problems. You see, I, I had gone to the neighbor's house. My mom always sent me down to invite this neighbor guy over. He was big, maybe 250 pounds, single guy living down the road. And mom's like, oh, we've got to go invite him over. He's lonely down there. His wife died. So I just hated going down there. This guy gave me the creeps. But I went down there, and then I was thinking, you know, I invite him to, to lunch, but I thought, I should, I, should just pray. I should just tell him I'm praying for him. So, you know, I was a sincere kid. I really wanted to follow God. And, and so I, I said to him, I just want you to know I'm, I'm praying for you. And this man looked at me, and he grabbed my face, took my chin and lifted it up, and he kissed me right on the lips. And then he grabbed my arm, and he said, come on inside. I want to show you something. And I was terrified. I grabbed onto the door frame and said, no, no, really, I have to get home. I have to help mom make food. Just come in here. I want to show you something. And he, he started dragging me. He, he really fought hard. I was little. I was a really skinny little kid. He could have pulled me inside and done anything he wanted. I don't know what he wanted, but I know what I thought he wanted. And I hung onto the door frame with all my might, and by God's grace, he let me go. And I walked back to my house. And I was so full of anger at God. And, and I just prayed. I said, what kind of God are you? What kind of father would just stand there and watch while his little girl is terrified? And I said, I don't know what kind of God you are. But obviously, you don't care enough to take much care of me. You're not going to do anything to protect me, so I'm going to protect myself. And I told him, I'm through with the stupid trust God thing. You... Take care of whatever you want to take care of. I'll take care of myself, thank you very much, because I can do a much better job of it than you are. And that was the beginning of some of the more dramatic fears. That was the beginning of when I started feeling afraid when men would walk behind me. I started wearing jeans to bed at night because as soon as I'd lie down in bed, I'd think, what if somebody comes in through the window? What if he drags me away and kidnaps me and rapes me? And I thought, well, if it, at least if I'm wearing jeans, I've got a running chance. So I'd wear jeans every night. Eventually, I was sleeping fully clothed except for my shoes. This is by the time I was 16 or so. And I would lie there in bed at night and worry and hardly be able to go to sleep because I didn't have shoes on. And what if he pulls me out the window and I don't have shoes on and I don't know how far he's going to make me walk? It was crazy. See, I knew this is not logical. This doesn't make any sense. But this was my reality. This is how I was feeling. And I was powerless to stop it. You know, for those of you who struggle with fear... Realize, fear is not something you can reason with. Fear is not something that you can just say, okay, let's, let's just not deal with that, okay? Let's pretend it's not there. Fear is something you need to give to God because it's an attack of Satan. Um, you know, some people are trying to get in. How about those who are close by the, the edges? Scoot in just a little bit so there will be more chairs available, okay? Thanks so much. Sorry to interrupt there. So this was my reality. I felt terrified 
And yet I had to put on this veneer of everything's fine, I don't have any problems, life is fun, ha, ha, ha. I was, a, I was kind of a comedian crack up some of the time. Just to cover up the pain and the fear, I, I was so afraid people would find out how I felt, how scared I was, and know how crazy I was. Now, when I went away to Academy and I started reading The Desire of Ages and I understood, wow, this is a God who's like that? I never knew he was like that. I started growing that seed of faith again, that seed of trust. Maybe this is a God I could trust after all. You see, I decided to go to this school because I was miserable with everything else in my life, as you can imagine. And I thought, you know, I'm going to try the God thing. But it never really occurred to me when I said, I'm going to try the God thing, that it would mean I have to trust him, too. I didn't like trusting anybody. Trusting means opening yourself up so that somebody can just stab you right in the heart. That's a hard concept for me to, to be able to grasp, to be willing to, to face. Open my heart, hand somebody a sword and say, go ahead if you want. This didn't sound like a picnic. So... This trust God thing was really, really difficult for me to, to understand. But as I started learning more about God in the Desire of Ages, and maybe most of all in the lives of the people who were around me, young people and the faculty at, at um, Washita Hills, just I praised God for sending me there because it, it changed my life as I saw God reflected in their faces, in their voices, in their kindness to me. I started trusting. Maybe he's somebody I could trust after all. After a few months there, I decided to make a commitment to God. But you know, the funny thing was, it never occurred to me that God might help me with my fear. Because this was a me against the world thing. I had to take care of it. I'll take care of myself. God will take care of everything else, right? Now, you know, I should mention maybe that I don't think that abuse like this is as uncommon as people think. You know, you may hear my story and think, wow, that's really bizarre, but I've never known anybody who's gone through anything like that. Well, you may or may not. But just know that the people around you, if they are going through something like this, are not going to wear a sign around their neck saying, by the way, I'm paranoid. It, it's, it's something that people hide. But people need desperately to be healed. In my experience, I would say that probably about 50% of girls that I know have been sexually abused. That may be just shocking to you, but I'll, I'll tell you why. When I was growing up, I went to a small Adventist church. There were, I think, eight girls in our church. Five or six had been sexually abused that I know. When I went to a slumber party one time from my Christian school, there were seven of, of us at the slumber party. Five had been sexually abused. You know how it is that girls start telling deepest, darkest secrets at about midnight in a slumber party? That's what we talked about. When I, I went on a mission trip to Mexico with Adventist young people, we were, there were seven of us in our room. Four or five had been sexually abused. One of the girls, her, her mother was a prostitute. And had, after she had been with the guy, she, would, she slit her little girl open, put her on the bedpost and spun her around for fun for these guys. The kind of abuse that goes on in families and homes and lives all around you is totally astounding. Um, I, I stand before you, somebody who just goes, you know, there's way more of this going on than you think. But the great thing is that God is able to save to the uttermost. And that's what I want to share with you. This is not a story about, wow, me, I'm so courageous. It's a story of how cowardly I was in refusing to trust God and let Him take my back. And how eventually I found freedom when I let him. And it's amazing what God can do. And I don't know what, what traps you may be struggling with right now. Some of you may say, man, I've never had anything like that. I don't even understand. That doesn't relate to my life at all. But what is it that you're struggling with? What is it you're afraid to hand over to God? Is it if I just surrender to God and say, you do whatever you want in my life and my relationships, maybe he'll never let me get married. That's scary, isn't it? Sounds like a long, desolate life of loneliness. Let me tell you, it's not. If God is the one in control, your life will be rich and full and fulfilling. I want to encourage you, as, as you're listening to my story, don't just think, well, that's interesting, something that God did for her. But think of your own life. 
What do you want to be set free from? Some people, their, their parents have been divorced, they've been abandoned, they've been abused in all different ways. And I should clarify too, when I say I think 50% of girls have been sexually abused, I don't think 50% of guys are sexual abusers. Girls don't think that all guys are disgusting creeps just because you've had an experience with one or two of them. It's true that, you know, girls will say, oh, guys are all just jerks. No, they're not. Girls are all just jerks and guys are all just jerks until we surrender our lives to Christ and let him make us into something beautiful. Now, my experience, of course, made me tremendously biased. Here I go to a, a small conservative Adventist school and... There are six of us in the school, and three of the girls have been sexually abused. When I went to college, there were four girls in my room. Three had been sexually abused. And these aren't the things. It's not like I went around taking a survey. This is just I found out. You know, girls would talk to me about what they were going through in their lives, and I'd find out. I guarantee you, if you haven't been sexually abused, some of your friends have, probably some of your closest friends, and you would be shocked if you knew who. But sexual abuse isn't the only kind of abuse it's very devastating. And when I went to a counselor, the counselor told me, you know, the reason that sexual abuse is so devastating is because it reaches to the very core of who we are. God created us male and female. And when we're sexually abused, that violates that. I always told myself for years, even after I remembered what had happened to me, which was about when I was 18, when I remembered the sexual abuse, I spent the next few years telling myself, oh, it doesn't matter. Come on. So somebody touched me. So somebody hurt me a little bit. It's just, you know, life. Get on with it. Deal with it. I wasn't willing to let God reach down to the deepest parts of me. Now, you know, for girls, it's somehow it's easier for girls to admit that they've been sexually abused than for guys to, even to themselves. You know, we talked yesterday about how God desires truth in the inward parts. He wants us to speak the truth in our hearts. And sometimes if you ask a guy, so have you ever been sexually abused? Most of them will say No. Well, have you ever had somebody touch you in a sexual way when you didn't want them to? Well, yeah, but that's not sexual abuse. It's very hard for a guy. If you are struggling with something that you can't reason with and doesn't make sense to you, don't push it aside and say, I'm fine. I can handle anything. Give it to God. There's no sense trying to go through all of that. God has a purpose for your pain. I don't think for a second that God wanted me to be sexually abused or emotionally abused, or physically abused. God didn't want me to be hit around. God didn't want me to be told I was stupid or that I was an idiot. God didn't want me to be told that my body was ugly. But God had a plan that by going through all of those things, my heart would be bound closer to his heart by those things than by anything else that I experienced in my life. And that's what I want you to know. That's the point of what we're talking about today, that whatever pain you go through, don't waste that pain. Let that pain be used to bind your heart to the heart of God. And we're going to talk about that. But what I'm telling you about here is, is my own experience and the strange things that were happening to me. I remember once a guy, um, I was in college by this time. This guy, just he was just a friend. You know, I wasn't close to him or anything. He was a big guy. And he came chasing a little girl. He was, they were just goofing off. The little girl was running and squealing. And she hid behind me. And he came over on the other side of me and reached around one arm on this side and one arm on that side, trying to reach the little girl. I thought I would pass out. He had no idea. I kind of smiled, ha, 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 and spun around like this, just, you know, kind of almost a fetal position. That night I had nightmares. I just dreamed I was standing there screaming and screaming and screaming. But what could I do? I had to fake it. I had to pretend like everything was fine. Now, the turning point for me came when one day I was working in a school cafeteria. Now, usually there were other people around, and, you know, but they were my friends. I felt safe around guys that I knew, guys that were my age. If guys were older than me, I was hesitant about them. You know, say 10 years older than me, I was really wary of them. But once I knew who they were, I felt safer around them, you know, generally. Once I, once I felt safe with them... They didn't bother me if they walked behind me, if I knew it was them. If, some, if a guy walked behind me, I'd freeze up, look back, oh, that's somebody I know. <sighs> I'm fine now. It was crazy. But here I was in the kitchen, and this was wonderful. Before, I'd been working in the dental office, and in the dental office, I had to deal with strange guys all day long. Oh, it was terrible. It was torture. Now I was working in the kitchen when I was transferred there. Oh, it was great. The only guys I ever had to see who were strangers were delivery men. And it's almost comical, you know, when you hear you think a delivery man. 
Like I would even not notice that I'm there. But for me, it was a very real experience. And this particular day, this delivery man came in delivering food. He's putting it all in the back closet, you know, go past, put it in there, come back out with his little trolley thing, you know. He was bored. He didn't even know I was there or care. I'm just standing there washing dishes. But every time he'd walk in the door, I'd take a deep breath, clench my fists, and brace myself. Because sure enough, my throat would close up as he walked through the room. I'd just have to stand there hanging on until he'd get past. Once he's out again, I could breathe again. I could brace myself. Okay, I can do this. I'm going to be okay. Then the delivery man would come back through again, and the panic attack would hit me again. Bam, like a punch in the stomach. And then at one of the times he was out getting more stuff from the truck, I thought, okay, I, I can't keep on like this. He's just going on forever. So I thought, all right, I'm going to do something different. I'm going to sing a little scripture song. And there was a song that I had learned here at the school at went like this. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. Because he trusteth in thee, O Lord, because he trusteth in thee, thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee. I started singing that song, just quietly. As the delivery man came in again, I thought, okay, I'm just going to keep singing. Took a deep breath, clenched my fists, closed my eyes. I was singing so quietly that I could barely hear myself. I know he couldn't hear me. And I waited for the panic attack to hit. And it didn't. I just stood there with my fists clenched, wondering when it was going to hit, when the punch in the stomach was going to come to me. And it didn't happen. I was so astounded. This is one of the defining moments in my entire life when all of a sudden everything falls away and I realize things that I've never realized in my life. And there were three things I realized right then. Number one, this is not my imagination. I kept telling myself, oh, you're just trying to get attention. You're just pretending like something. Even though I didn't tell anybody what I was going through, I told my sisters a little bit. That was the only thing. I didn't tell anybody. But I kept telling myself, you're just trying to get attention. Now I realize this is not my imagination. This is an attack of Satan. And I realized, number two, God cares about this. He can set me free. Why did I not ever think of that before? That God could actually care about me and about what's oppressing me in my life and that he would actually set me free. And number three, I learned there is power in the word of God. There is power in that Bible that you hold. You have no idea of the power. I had no idea of the power. And now I knew. And I wish I could say from that moment on it was all victory. But you know, I discovered something else about myself in the coming weeks and months after that. I discovered that I actually liked being afraid. It may seem really strange to you, but you see, I was like a scared cat backed into the corner, claws out. I'm ready. If you're going to take me down, I'm going to fight you tooth and nail all the way down. Now, God was asking me to put the sword away. Come away from the corner. Go out there and walk in newness of life. Go live. And don't watch your back anymore. Let me watch your back. And if something bad happens to you, something bad happens to you. You're just going to know, okay, God can make something beautiful out of this. That was hard. I didn't want to do that. I wanted to take care of myself. Me against the world. We got this agreement. I know how to do this. Me against the world. I take care of myself. I don't have to worry about anybody else taking care of me. I liked that. I really liked that. You see, the bottom of it, my sin was self-reliance. I didn't want to have to trust God. Why should I trust God to do something for me when I can take care of myself? You know, there are lies that ring through our minds. And there may be some lies that you recognize. Now that you've heard this, you recognize the lies that ring through your mind. Some of the lies that rang through my mind were things like, Stupid, ugly idiot. You never do anything right. Nobody could ever love you. 
Another lie that rang through my mind was, I can do it. I can do anything. And I, even though I knew literally, I can't walk out there in the parking lot, pick up that car. In my mind, I just, I, I set my mind, I can do it. I can do anything. I don't need to depend on anybody or anything to take care of me. I'll take care of myself. In fact, I used to be really angry at God because he made me a girl. How come God made me a girl? It just seems so unfair to me that God made girls generally weaker than guys. So if a girl and a guy get in a fight, the guy always wins. I really hated that about God. Why did he do that to me? didn't make any sense. I remember when I was at the academy, I'd just gotten there, and one of the guys opened the door for me to walk through. And I was like, hey, 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 what brand of stupid do you think I am? I know this game. I walk halfway through the door, you slam it on me. He looks at me like... I'm out of my mind. I said, uh-uh, I'm not going through that door. You go through that door. He's like, I am not going through the door. You are a lady. You're going through the door. <laughs> I was like, no, I'm not going through that door with you holding the door open. You're going to smash me. And he looks at me like I'm insane. But this guy, his name was Adam. He was one of the ten stubbornest people in the entire world. And once Adam decided he was going to hold the door open for me, we would have stood there all afternoon. So eventually, the... Irresistible force meets the immovable object. I said, all right, I'll beat you at your own game. And I faked like I was standing there, and then I made a leap through the door. And he didn't slam it on me. Instead, he just looked at me like I was insane (laughs) and walked through the door. (laughs) And I thought, whoa, this is a new approach. I don't have to fight my way to the top here. These guys, you know, what if they're actually just going to be nice to me? What if they just be gentlemen just because that's what they do? How strange. (laughs) And guys, you know, you may face girls who are combative, diehard feminists, but often that what's what's beneath that is a it's just a veneer to cover the hurt. And some of the most powerful witnesses I ever had were men and boys who would open a door for me, who would let me go first in line, who would just treat me like you're a lady. You deserve to be taken care of. I am a gentleman. It's my job to take care of you. They reflected Jesus to me. And it was amazing. You may think a little act of courtesy doesn't mean a lot, but to me it meant so much. I was just blown away by their courtesy, by their kindness, by treating me like I was a woman who deserved to be taken care of. Guys, don't forget to do those little things. I hope that will help you remember as you think of my testimony. (laughs) You can reflect Jesus to people. Now, As I started going through this process of working through my own fears, my own anger, um, I discovered that if if I had to walk down the sidewalk and there's a guy coming toward me, you know what I can do? I can sing the song. And I did it. It was hard. I wanted to be, you know, me against the world, but that was so tiresome too. So I was torn between the two sides. And as I started making the right choice over and over, it started getting easier. I started feeling the difference. One day I remember I went in the grocery store and I was singing my song, you know, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace. As I'm going through the song, you know, it's kind of hard to sing that in a grocery store, incidentally, in case you've never tried. And there's other stuff going on. There's playing Jingle Bell Rock or whatever, and, and you're trying to sing your little song. But I could do it. So I was singing my song and I thought, you know what? I wonder. Here I am being able to walk down the aisle in the grocery store and, I, and there's a guy right there and it doesn't bother me. Isn't this wonderful? And I thought, I wonder if I could just ask God to be in my heart and protect me and take care of me, and that he would do that, and I wouldn't have to sing all the time to be able to keep walking. So I tried it. I said, God, I just want to ask you to be with me the whole time I'm in this store. Help me not to be afraid. And it worked. It was amazing. This was a God thing. It wasn't just to you know, repeat the mantra, as long as you're saying the Hail Mary, you can do whatever you want. There was another defining moment for me. Wow, God is real. He's really helping me. Now, as I, as I started going through this process, you know, I can walk down the sidewalk, I can go through line to the cafeteria, I started discovering that if I spent time with God in the morning, if I surrendered my heart to Him, if I had a, a quality devotional time when I, I gave myself to Him, then when I went through that day, I could find it much easier to turn to Him naturally the second something happened. Or even just to make it through the day. You know, a guy would walk behind me and I'd realize, hey, it didn't hit me. This is great. 
And if I started drifting away from God, maybe I didn't spend any time with him that morning, had to rush off to get breakfast. Somebody would walk behind me and, God, help me. It was wonderful. The second I'd cry out to him, it would release. This, this terrible experience that I'm telling you I had gone through for years now became the key to my freedom. It was my secret, God and me. Only God and I knew about this thing. And it was just wonderful. I said, thank you. Wow. This is so great. You're real. All day long, I was getting little reminders that God is real. God loves me. He cares about what's happening in my heart at this moment that nobody else knows about. It was wonderful. This is what God wants to do with your pain. You know, I've I've been corresponding with my husband's cousin over in uh, the UK. I've never actually met him. And he's struggling with, you know, does he want to be an atheist? Does he want to be a Christian? Is God real? And, And one of his central questions is one that I've heard a lot from people who question whether God exists. As I've gone out coal portering, as I've done different kinds of evangelism, people have the same question that I had. If God is real, if God loves me, how come he lets me suffer so much? And that's a good question, isn't it? Have you ever asked that question? How many of you have ever wondered that? If God is real, how come? How many of you have had somebody else ask you that? If God is real, how come I hurt so much? I say, God is real. And the reason why God allows us to suffer is because life is not about avoiding suffering. Life is about growing in meaning, growing in love, growing to be like Jesus. And the suffering that you go through is the surest thing that can bind your heart to the heart of God. The suffering that you go through is what will teach you to lean on Him when you cannot make it through things without Him. That's when you find Him to be your never-failing friend. What about the Psalms? The Psalms are full of David's anguish, his suffering, other people's suffering. The Bible is packed with stories of pain and how God did not deliver people from pain when they surrendered it to Him. Rather, He helped them through it. God does not remove the mountain. He helps you climb over it. And in climbing over it, you become stronger. You become better. You become a deeper and richer and more meaningful person. You develop a compassion for others who are suffering that you may never have if you can't relate to it. Now, in my experience, as I've shared with you, it bound my heart to the heart of God because I had to depend on Him. You know, there's an illustration I've heard of how Middle Eastern shepherds sometimes would keep the, the more rambunctious lambs from running away from them. The shepherd will catch that lamb and grab its leg and snap it. And then, as the, the little lamb is bleating in agony, the shepherd will carry it. He'll set that leg tenderly. He'll carry that lamb around for months. Now, this is a lot of work for a shepherd, don't you think? Lambs are not three ounces you know, they, they're, they're hefty little critters. And especially when you have to carry it all day long. What a lot of work. But as the shepherd carries the lamb, the lamb's heart is bound with the shepherd. And at the end of that time, when the lamb's leg is healed and he can run around and play again, the lamb won't run away from the shepherd anymore. This is what I think God does with his people. He doesn't break our legs. Satan is the one who does the breaking. Satan is always eager to break us. God cannot stop all the bad things from happening in this world. What sense would it make if Adam and Eve make a bad choice and God says, okay, well, I want you to suffer the consequence of that so you'll learn not to sin anymore. But wait, that might hurt you. Okay, I'll take care of that. Just just love me, okay? Trust me, sin's a bad idea. Don't do it anymore, okay? God doesn't allow any consequences. What kind of loving mother would I be if I didn't spank my children or give them some kind of unpleasant consequence when they don't obey me? Someday, they're going to be running out into the road instead of just picking up things that I don't want them to pick up. And it wouldn't be a loving thing at all for me to teach them that sin has no consequence. Rebellion will never give you a penalty. I wouldn't be teaching them the way that reality really is. That's why God has to allow suffering, simply because God is a God of miracles. Rather than delivering us from ever suffering the consequences of sin, our bad choices or other people's bad choices, as in situations with abuse or divorce, it may not be your fault. You may have had nothing to do with the choices that somebody else made, and those choices can wreck your life. Should you resent and be rebellious and be angry about it? No, that doesn't bring any healing. 
God is a God that gives beauty for ashes. Have you ever thought about that? When, if I were to stand up here holding a beautiful rose, and then I take a match to it, I burn it down to ashes. It's ashes, and there's nothing I can do to bring that rose back. God is a God who picks up the ashes and says, Want a rose? Watch this. This is what God will do with the bad situations that you've faced in your life. And I don't know what pain you're suffering from, but God knows. Jesus understands. You may never be able to explain to another living soul exactly what you're going through, but God knows. And better than that, he knows the way of escape. You may be lost in a hopeless maze, but God has a map, and he's willing to lead you. But he'll lead you moment by moment. If, say, you were crippled with a terrible illness, and I walk over to you and I say, be healed, and I touch you, bam, and you're healed, wonderful. You'd be so grateful to me, wouldn't you? But what about a year or ten years from now? Are you still going to be as grateful to me? Sure, you'll be grateful if you think about it. But what about if instead I nurture you? For years I take care of you, I heal you, I change your bandages, I clean your wounds, I feed you. I take care of every intimate need that you have, including the need for companionship. I read to you, I sing to you, I spend time with you. Your heart will be bound to mine in a way that's much deeper, much more powerful than if I just heal you, bang. And that's why God usually doesn't heal people instantly. The Bible, you know, in the New Testament, we hear about healing in the Bible. We think, oh, you know, healing is when Jesus comes and touches somebody and they jump up and throw away their crutches and jump, jump around. They're healed. Yay. But the Bible is much more often. A, 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 it tells of a healing process. The Lord healeth the broken in heart and bindeth up their wounds. Binding up wounds means it's a process, doesn't it? God heals us by cleaning out the, the decay, the infection, the sin, the pain. And it's a painful process to clean that out. But then he puts his healing antiseptic of his love in. He binds up our wounds and day by day he cares for us. And that process is actually what draws us closest to God. God has a purpose for suffering. Just like God didn't intend for sin to come to this world. He warned Adam and Eve, don't sin, don't do it. But not just in spite of sin, but actually because of it, this planet is going to be full of people that will be closer to God than we could have been if sin had not happened, because this is the way God is. Do you realize heaven is somewhere else right now? The center of the universe is somewhere else, but someday God is going to bring the new Jerusalem here. His throne is going to be on earth. And this one place out of the entire universe, this is the only place that anybody rebelled. This is the only place that Jesus had to come and sacrifice his very lifeblood for us. And now this will be the center of universe. But the place of rebellion becomes the head of the universe. And we will be drawn closer to God than even the angels who have worked to save us. You realize that? Not just in spite of our rebellion against God, but actually because of it, God will bring us into a closer relationship with him than we ever could have had before because we have to depend on him moment by moment for our salvation. We have to depend on him for the victory that comes over sin. When we give ourselves to him, he changes us into his image. And that process of being changed is painful. But who cares? Who cares about the pain? People talk so much about pain. I'm in so much pain. How come nobody cares about me and my feelings and my needs? We have an epidemic of depression in the Western world now. You know, people in Africa have a lot more to be depressed about than we have here. You know, let's just be honest. They're starving, or they're, they're sick, or they don't know where they're going to sleep tonight, or their house was just bulldozed down, and they don't have any way to, to build anything else. They're wondering where they'll get food tomorrow. They've got to pedal things door to door, or stand in the middle of the street trying to sell little trinkets so that they can get enough money to eat tonight. We have everything, but we're so self-centered. And self-centeredness is the poison that destroys our happiness. God is not... God is not as eager to deliver you from your pain as he is to help you to become changed into his image through the pain that you go through. Now, we talked about infected wounds and, and how God heals us and cleans us out. I want to use that il illustration again. Imagine that somebody has come up to me and slashed my arm with a sword. And then they pack it full of dirt and grime and germs and it heals over on the top you know how sometimes a wound will do, it'll heal over in the skin, but down underneath is a festering wound? 
And before long, it's turning red and it's swelling and it's hurting. An infected wound hurts, doesn't it? Now, God's process of healing our hearts is very similar to the way that he heals our bodies. In order to get that wound healed, even though I may have a pretense of everything's fine, I got it under control, the skin's covered over it, see, everything's healed, I really don't need any more help, thank you very much. God likes to lance wounds. He doesn't like to leave them and say, well, if you think it's all right, so long. God goes through that process of cutting it open. And that process of cutting it open may be painful. You know, for me, when I first remembered the abuse that I'd gone through, it was a horrific experience. How can that have happened to me? I didn't remember anything like that ever happening. My grandfather had actually also abused one of my sisters. So one of my sisters came to me and said, do you remember anything happening? And I said, no, I can't remember anything. All I remember was that she was just loving and kind and always kissing us and playing with us and playing games. He was so loving to us. When I remembered all that abuse, it was horrible. Now, for those of you who may be wondering, you know, do I have rep repressed memories? I, I want to encourage you, don't, don't think you've got to dredge up all the very worst in your past to be able to figure out what's wrong with you. If you need to remember something, God will help you to remember. I'm, I'm somewhat suspicious. Even though I have uh, memories that I've recovered that were repressed, I'm a little suspicious of people who come and say, you know, I went to a psychiatrist and he helped me remember that I went through this. You know, as much as I know there are repressed memories, I'm cautious about recommending anybody go to a counselor who will help them remember anything because suggestions are powerful. And I know, I know many times people have gone to a psychiatrist and they say, well, do you remember any of your uncles that you didn't feel really comfortable around? And I go, yeah, you know, there was one of them. I just never liked him. I can't put a finger on it. Do you think he ever, now concentrate, do you remember ever being in a room alone with him? This is not the way to recover your memories. I recommend, if you think there may be something that has happened to you, get yourself into a safe environment as much as you can and surrender your life to God. Let him have whatever's going on in your mind. Don't try to figure out what had dredged up in the past, you know. Instead, give him what you're going through today and ask him to help you to know if there's anything else you need to work through. Some people take many years before they remember something that happened to them in the past, and that's okay. It, it may be that you need to remember something. It may be that you don't need to remember it. It may be that all you need to do is surrender things to God and not work through, you know, oh, that's what happened. God will lead you through this process. If you do want to seek a counselor, um, I would recommend you go to the National Association of Nusetic Counselors, nanc.org, online, and look up a biblical counselor around your area. Biblical counselors have a much more a solid biblical approach than your typical counseling situation. They don't figure you're going to have to go through years of intense counseling. Some of them will even do it for free as a ministry. A biblical counselor will help you to surrender things to God and apply biblical principles to your life. So if you do need counseling, I know many people do, I encourage you to go to nanc.org. If you um, can't remember that sometime and you need something, you can email us to atlantic2 at yahoo.com. Not Atlantic, but Atlantic with no T's in it, like the ocean with no T's in it. Atlantic2 at yahoo.com. Alan, Nick. And I can give you information like that. Um, counseling is wonderful and it's very helpful. I went to a counselor only a few times and he was very insightful. One of the greatest things that he just said to me was once he heard what I'd gone through, he had a look of compassion on his face and he said, you have suffered something very bad. And it, it, that was so freeing to me because all the time I've been telling myself, no, you know, I'm fine. There's nothing to worry about. Come on, somebody just touch me a little bit. Deal with it. Move on. And I, once I could accept this did actually really hurt me. It did violate me deeply. Being raped or molested or even just touched inappropriately in some way where you knew it wasn't right, especially if it's a person that's in a high position of trust, can be devastating to you. Don't think, well, it doesn't matter. Come on, don't make a big deal out of something. No, if there's a big deal in your heart, give it to God and talk to him about it. Now, when I say you need to deal with your issues, I don't mean you need to wallow in them. Some people especially have the tendency to just think about it all the time. And there's, there's something healthy to being able to work through something. There was a time when I, I read a lot about sexual abuse, about different kinds of abuse situations, and that was very helpful to me. But be sure you don't wallow in it. Don't make it your identity. My name is and I am sexually abused. It's just something that happened to you that will make you into a better person as you give it to God or any other kind of abuse that you've gone to, through.
God didn't intend it to happen to you. God doesn't want bad things to happen. He doesn't ordain that people make bad choices. But he works through those situations so that all things work together for good to those that love the Lord. Now, one of the, one of the common results of going through an abuse situation is what's called codependency in the world. I have a different word for codependency. I call it idolatry. Idolatry is when something or someone is more important to you than God and you feel you cannot live without this person or this thing. When you're in that situation, give it to God and ask Him to come back and be the king on the throne of your heart. Um, idols are what cause compulsions. Like I talked about my friend Erica, I've known so many people like that. They just, I know I shouldn't, I know I shouldn't. They'll break up with the guy and two days later, I just couldn't be away from him any longer. I had to have him back. That is not healthy. That is not love. Do not lie to yourself. If you are in a relationship where somebody is more important to you than God, get out of it. Do whatever you have to do. Tell the person you know, may not have anything to do with you, but I realize that God has to be the first one in my heart. And until God and I have our relationship straightened out, I'm not going to try to consider whether you're the right person for me. Thank you. Just please back away and let me have some time to spend time with God. I've got to hang on to his hand and not have anybody else's hand to hang on to. Now, the process of finding victory, um, I want to, I'm going to share with you the general principles of what I found works for whatever situation you're facing. If it's a divorce, if it's abuse, if it's abandonment, if it's anything else, you know, your own bad choice. It may be that you're saying, you know, I, I made a bad choice. I slept with somebody. I knew I shouldn't do this. I feel so shameful. I feel so dirty. I feel so hopeless. Nobody could ever really want me. That's a lie. Recognize that for what it is. It's a lie straight from the pit of hell. And the devil is trying to destroy your life by chaining you with that lie. Break away from it. God gives beauty for ashes. We have the promises of the Bible that tell us this. Now, having an idol may make you feel valuable. And I don't, you know, when I say relationship, that's a common idol. Especially for girls, relationships are very common. For men, it's often pornography or music. I know people who can never spend five minutes without music. They've got to have something on. Why do they need music? Why do they need it compulsively? Music is wonderful, but it can be an addictive device that helps us to forget. It's an, a drug. Some people use drugs. Some people use alcohol. Some people use television. Some people use movies. They're the same principle. Relationship, popularity, control of other people, having good grades, any of those things, when they become more important to you, then God, or when they are where you base your, your feelings of value. You lie down at night, you feel empty, you start thinking, well, but think of all the people who like me at school. Mm -mm. This is when you need to point yourself to God. Some people, their cell phone becomes their idol. You know people who can never seem to not have their cell phone on their ear? That can be a way of escaping. So the first, the first thing I want to share is in this process of finding victory over your, your past, the first step is embrace your pain. Don't escape. Don't get into the Internet as an escape. Don't call somebody every time you feel down. Feel that pain. Let that pain do what it's meant to do. It's meant to draw your heart to the heart of God. When you feel lonely, don't escape. Don't go find a movie to watch. Don't go put on some music. Feel that pain. Pain is painful. It's not pleasant, but let it accomplish what God wants it to do. Embrace your pain. Say, God, I'm lonely right now. I need you here with me. And one of the, one of the common effects of abuse is that particularly if you've been abandoned or hurt by an authority figure, you transfer that to God. God doesn't care. He's up there doing this. And well, if you just clean yourself up a little bit, then maybe I could love you. That's a lie of the devil. If you have that kind of perception, go to God and talk to him about how you feel. Um, get a good book. I can't recommend The Desire of Ages highly enough. The Desire of Ages transformed my own life as I saw what God was like. The book Steps to Christ is another one. Break those chains of the devil. Don't believe him for a second. Read your Bible. The Bible is full of powerful promises. If you're struggling with fear, if you're struggling with anger, if you're struggling with resentment, Find the Bible promises and break those chains. When the lie comes to your mind, you know there's a lie that's come to my mind for months now. Um, you can't do this. And I'll just cry out, God, I can't do this. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. God, I can't do this. 
God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And when the devil will tell me, I can't tell people my story. I'm afraid of what they'll think of me. He will say, I have not ordained the spirit of fear. When the lies come to you, if you have to, write a Bible verse on your hand. Every time the lie hits you, nobody can love me. God loves me. Whatever you need to do, break those chains. Refuse to believe the lies of the devil. But the only way that you can really face the lies of the devil is by embracing your pain. Embrace the pain. Let it accomplish God's will for you. Let it be the cord that binds your heart to the heart of God with a cord that will never be broken, with a bond that you would never want to get away from because you know what your life will be like without him. Now, the second thing I want you to to think about in, in this process of victory as you embrace your pain, fellowship with Christ in his sufferings. You may be suffering because of somebody else's bad choice. To me, it just seems so unfair that my grandfather could rape me and abuse me and then die and get off scot-free. And now I have to live the rest of my life with the, the pain of what his bad choice was. It was so unfair. But now I understand. I understand something of the suffering of Christ. Because, you know, even though I was innocent as a child of anything, I didn't deserve to be abused. On the other hand, Jesus didn't deserve any of the abuse that he went through. Jesus was sexually abused. He was stripped naked in front of all of his friends, in front of his family, in front of those that he loved the most. Jesus understands the worst things that you have ever gone through. Anything you went through, Christ has suffered too, and he went through more. He can go through this pain with you, and he would rather do that than see you do it alone. Embrace your pain and fellowship with Christ in his sufferings. Now, as you fellowship with Christ in his sufferings, you'll get a true perspective on whether you can forgive other people or not. Jesus, when he was being abused by everyone, said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And there were some things that helped me to forgive. I realized, number one, what I hate, I will become. Number two, I need to see my victimizer as a victim of Satan, too. Yes, he made bad choices. Those were his choices. But he was also miserable. You're never happy when you're choosing Satan. He lived in fear. He was afraid somebody was going to catch him. Somebody's going to find out. And how, how happy can you feel knowing you've just raped your little granddaughter? This is not a happy life. And if he, if he repented, he had to understand something of what he had put me through. And that would be a very painful experience, don't you think? God is just. And if he did not repent, I don't know where his heart was when he died, then God will give him justice. And someday, I don't have to worry about whether God will be fair. I can just let go. You see, people cannot punish other people enough. If, if I, you know, if say you put a rapist into prison and the other prisoners say, all right, well, let's give him what he deserves and they rape him. What have they done? They've just lowered themselves to being equal with him. God is different. God can punish those who deserve justice and yet love them. People cannot be like that. And so we need to abandon it to the God of justice. Those things really helped me to forgive and understanding that this, this trouble is a door of hope to me. It brings me to God. I don't have to hang on to somebody else. And as you fellowship with Christ in his sufferings, you'll realize you've got to base your value on the light of the cross. Jesus died for you. Don't base your value on whether you're popular, whether you're good looking, whether you do anything right or you can sing well enough or anything like that. Your value is in the light of the cross. Jesus came down and went through everything you went through and so much more. Because of you. He would have done it all just for you. So when the devil tells you you're not good enough, you tell him, I was good enough for Jesus to die for me. Fellowship with Christ in his sufferings and um, embrace your pain. These two steps will really be your keys to freedom. Now, I want to read to you a a poem that I wrote back when I was uh, going through this. I know it's late, but if you need to go, you can go. I'm going to read you a poem that I wrote. I was a victim, a child alone. My torturer, Satan, his hell heart a stone. The ashes of innocence smoldered within. The darkness closed over my soul, black as sin. I cried out for freedom, relief from my pain. As screams in the desert, my cries were in vain. Was there no one to answer, no love for my soul? I wept in the silence, alone in the cold. Then soft through the darkness, like grass in the wind, I heard it, a melody ringing within. It melted through coldness and evil and pain, refreshing like breezes from new-fallen rain. I lifted my face and felt warmth in the wind. 
The darkness still shrouded my soul. Who would send such a message of love, such a promise of light? But I clung to the hope of my song in the night. The melody whispered it seemed to be pure from the courts of the angels of light, I was sure. T'was a chorus of glory, of promise to me that if I desired, I could be set free. Then I wondered in awe if the Lord of the sky would listen and answer my desperate cry. Could he rescue me out of the pit where I lay, alone in the darkness and helpless, afraid? I whispered his name, and the glorious song swelled in majesty far beyond that of a throng, as I felt in the darkness the warmth of his arms, protecting and comforting, holding back harm. Yes, the blackness still lingered, but gone was the fear, for the powerful shoulder now gathered my tears. Oh, I treasured the emptiness now of that place, for it led me to cherish my master's embrace. Though the darkness grows deep where the light glows around, I can live in his arms, for I still hear the sound of the message of love and the promise of light, and I rest in the hope of my song in the night. I want to encourage all of you. I don't know what you're going through, but I think probably most of you are here because either you or somebody you know is going through some pain and you really want to know how to help them or you want to know how to surrender your own pain to God. And if there's anything that you want to give to God today, right now, as we're talking about it, um, I'm going to ask that we sing together the song, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. And if there's something that you want to give to God or if there's some person that you know who's hurting and you want to lift them up in prayer now, I'm going to ask that you stand as we sing, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in His wonderful what's on each heart tonight we lift up our burdens to you right now lord you know what each person has brought to you today the pain that they want to turn into a cord that will bind their hearts to you lord help us to embrace our pain help us to fellowship with you in your sufferings and i pray that this pain will not just be something we overcome but that it will be a key that brings us closer to you that brings us to heaven and brings as many people as possible with us as we share our stories with others Lord, each one of us brings to you something right now, and we just lift it up to you in this moment of silence. Lord, take these things we've given to you now, these people that are on our hearts, these things that have been holding us away from you, and give us victory. Help us to walk out of this room in newness of life, to claim your promise and live free. In Jesus' name. This media was produced by Audioverse and Hope Media Ministry for GYC, Generation of Youth for Christ. If you would like to listen to more great media like this presentation, or if you would like to learn more about GYC, please visit www.gycweb.org. You can also find great witnessing media at audioverse.org and at hopevideo.com.